Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. Everybody, welcome to Narrative Live. It's a Friday night special edition. I don't have any plans, and uh, and if you don't, uh, hope you'll spend the next hour, probably an hour, hanging around with me because uh, I've got a lot to talk about, and uh, I need your help because some of this is is requiring some thoughtful pattern spotting, and I know you guys can help me out with this. So uh, it was an amazing week for the Democrats. There's no way to to say it any other way. What's what's even more remarkable is that the Republicans don't realize how badly beaten they have been. And they are continuing the same strategy of saying uh, it's okay with us. What the president did is okay with us. Well, you know, they're about to find out in a very crude and uh, dramatic way that what they did is not okay with anybody. And, uh, you know, probably treasonous, probably even more, uh, I guess you can get much worse than treasonous, but, you know, the kind of devastating crime that has been committed by the Republicans in addition to the to the uh, to the Russians, of course, by supporting them, uh, has severely damaged the American uh, national security uh, outlook and certainly the way we are perceived around the world. Now, having said that, what a great week for the Democrats. I'm going to I'm going to break this down for you. It's not rehearsed. I've just put a bunch of slides together, so please forgive me if the thing looks a little rough. Um, I just want to make sure that we capture everything that uh, that um, maybe you, other people missed, which is there there are still even more devastating holes for the Republicans in their defense. And they're so illuminating. They're so illuminating. They're really going to help, uh, I think, crystallize for a lot of people how, uh, how the republic has become because of what's happened in the last, um, in the last three years. Uh, the big breaking news just happened. So the New York Times uh, saying that the independent IG report that the Republicans have been banking on, really banking on. They've been, you know, claiming that this thing's going to save their, save their bacon. Uh, has turned out to be a what we all thought it was going to be, uh, and a complete indictment of the conspiracy theories, on the claims, on the weirdness that has been made up by the Republican Party and their allies over the last few years. Yes, I'm talking to you, Fox News, Sean Hannity. All those people who've been perpetrating these incredible myths against the United States have a lot to answer for. And uh, it's certainly impressive that this IG report uh, is very, very clear about this. Um, yes, it does rebuke um, one of the lawyers, Kevin Klein-Smith, for doing a, an email alteration. It should never happen, but it, it did happen. And uh, no one will tell you that uh, it's a good thing. Um, I certainly won't. Mr. Trump's allies have seized on the message from Mr. Kleinsmith and his colleagues as proof of an anti-Trump bias. But this is not the case because he's not a prominent figure in the partisan firefight of this investigation. So, again, you know, people need to be very careful when they hear what the Republican Party is going to try to spin out of this. At the same time, however, the report debunks a series of conspiracy theories and insinuations about the FBI and Mr. Trump and his allies have put forward over the past two years, the people said. So this is the section that really matters here that you know, there is no truth to what the Republicans have been using basically as their defense for the last three years. And it is why I was so confident last week to tell you that I believed we were heading to conviction. I still believe we're heading to conviction. I even 
more so believe we're heading into conviction because this president cannot stand and this presidency cannot stand. It is immoral. It is uh, certainly not the kind of thing that should be uh, leading the, this country, but certainly not for the country that's leading the free world. Some faces and images from the week you won't forget, an indelible image right there in the middle, the president of the United States, or so-called president of the United States, Donald Trump saying, I want nothing, I want nothing, I want no quid pro quo. Well, sir, uh, you did, and it's now been proven, and uh, you have been proven to be a liar. Now, we'll have to see how it hand gets handled in the trial, but uh, certainly does look like a, a bad week for the president. Um, I honestly believe the GOP is in some sort of denial. I think that they've reached a point where they no longer are able to realize the fact that they've been so completely wrong, that they've been perpetrating lies, and that they also have, and I'll give them a, a little bit here, because you know they've been victims of a propaganda campaign, a sophisticated propaganda campaign, but you'd think with the collective knowledge of, of the Republican Party um, that there would have been enough people inside the party that they could have said, you know, guys, we're getting duped. This is, we're getting duped. This doesn't know this is making sense anymore. And yet somehow they continue, continue, continue to deliver lie after lie after lie. And the moment for me that really um, it became apparent to me that they were sort of in denial was that incredible exchange with Congressman Maloney and, uh, and, and, and Sondland where he just was refusing to connect these things together. He was refusing to see the quid pro quo as being something that benefited Donald Trump. And that refusal is, I think, uh, symbolic and symptomatic of what is wrong with the GOP right now. Who would benefit from an investigation of the president's political opponent? Well, presumably that the person who asked for the investigation. Who is that? If the president asked for the investigation, it would be he. Well, it's not a hypothetical, is it, sir? We just went around this track, didn't we? When he asked you about investigations, which we all agree now means the Bidens, we just did this about 30 seconds ago. We, right? It, it's a pretty simple question, isn't it? I, I, guess, I guess I'm having trouble why you can't just say... When he asked about investigations, I assumed he meant... I know what you assume. Company. But who would benefit from an investigation of the Bidens? They're two different questions. I, you... I, I'm just asking you one. Who would benefit from from an investigation of the Bidens. I assume President Trump would benefit. There we have it, see? <laughs> Didn't hurt a bit, did it? Didn't hurt a bit, but let me ask you something. Mr. Maloney. Hold on, sir. Excuse me, I've been very forthright and I really resent what you're trying to Fair do. Fair enough, you've been very forthright. This is your third try to do so, sir. Didn't work so well the first time, did it? We had a little declaration come in after, you remember that? And now we're here a third time we got a doozy of a statement from you this morning. There's a whole bunch of stuff you don't recall. So all due respect, sir, we appreciate your candor, but let's be really clear on what it took to get it out of you. So my question is, when the president's putting pressure on the Ukrainians, withholding a meeting, to get this investigation that you and I agree would benefit him politically, what kind of, pre what kind of position does that put the Ukrainians in, sir? A terrible position. Terrible position. Why? Why does it put them in a terrible position? Why? Well, obviously, uh, they're not uh, receiving ultimately what they thought was coming to them, and they're put in a uh, in a position that jeopardizes their security. A position that jeopardizes their security. Their security. Indeed, that's exactly the point that I think a lot of people are still missing. This is not some 
burglary at the DNC. This is something that damages the global security, the security of the, of the Ukrainians and the security of Americans. Now, the other big news of the day is this story from, uh, again, the New York Times, the same report talking about uh, U.S. intelligence report saying that this framing of Ukraine, this consistent and persistent uh, framing of Ukraine by the Republican Party, that they were the ones who somehow were able to, uh, you know, manipulate the American elections in 2016 and that they had reason to. I mean, why would they have reason to come at the United States? We're their allies. But let's say that they might have had reason, although they wouldn't. Uh, they had no capability to do this. But Russia has been persistently saying that it's them for the last three years. The Republicans have now been pushing this. You, Fox News, you've been pushing it. Uh, Rush Limbaugh, you've been, you've been pushing it. All those right-wing, uh, Jack Proposiak, all those guys on Twitter, you've been pushing these lies for the Republican Party. Now, you'll deny it, of course, but you knew that this was Republican propaganda, Russian propaganda that you were perpetrating and sending out to the American people in order for what is my big question how much money are you getting paid to you know be traitors to your country because that is apparently what is going on the report today is devastating it basically says to the republican party you're you're living in a delusional nightmare you are not believing the truth you're not seeing the truth and i have to have some sympathy to there's a lot of people out there who wow, they're going to find out that uh, everything that they've thought for the last three years has actually been wrong and they've been destroying their own country. That is a terrible thing to find out. On the other hand, I'm kind of satisfied that finally the, uh, the intelligence community has come out so, so bluntly and said so. Now, two big news stories happening around the world that are worth checking out right now. Um, I think let's go to Israel first because I go to Israel because... Israel's Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu is um, super, super, super close to Donald Trump, but more importantly, the backers of Bibi Netanyahu and uh, Donald Trump are the same people, basically. And so Bibi's in trouble. He got indicted because he's a bad, bad boy. He got indicted for a bunch of things. Um, uh, maybe a, a look ahead to what might be happening here in the United States. But uh, there's a big battle now for who will be Prime Minister. The next guy, this guy on the right, uh, Gans is his name. He tried to form a government, could not form a government. And the reason he could not form a government, um, according to Gans on TV yesterday, was that he basically said that he was presented by a coalition who had, um, or a bloc, he said, that insisted on putting the interests of uh, one man before the interests of the country. Now, if that doesn't sound familiar, I don't know what does. Uh, and this is, you know, the Israelis have also been... Uh, victims and partners of Russia during this last 20 years of Putin's extraordinary growth of organized crime into the Western world, how he's been able to, um, through money and through greed and through influence, been able to, uh, you know, take ownership of some really important economies, including that of Israel. And that is how Bibi Netanyahu has stayed in power. And it's now why this uh, bloc that's been supporting him is, is, is just going to protect him to the very end because they're part of the whole thing. Um, and that makes them, you know, you'll have to figure that out yourself, but certainly not, uh, not loyal to, to their country. Um, but nevertheless, it's very similar to what we're seeing here. The Republican Party is the same thing, refusing to see that the country's interests are way, way bigger, way more important than one man's interests. And certainly, why, why do we care so much about this one man's uh, abilities to, to get rich or famous or do things? He's done nothing for the United States at all. In fact, heard it a lot. And yet somehow the Republican Party sort of now exists to protect him. Why are you protecting him? Makes absolutely no sense to me.
you know, the moment for me that, that, that really, and this is a tiny little moment. It is a tiny little moment in the impeachment hearings. You might have missed it if you weren't paying attention because uh, all, the, all the witnesses were so fantastic except for this one witness who, who, who was fantastic but didn't get quite the spotlight that she deserved. And that was the Pentagon uh, person who spoke, Laura Cooper. She was particularly interesting and you could sort of see Adam Schiff's, you know, brain working in slow motion, or at least I could, maybe because I was trying to figure out the same thing. She seemed to indicate that everybody in Ukraine knew on July 25th or thereabouts that the aid had been taken away from Ukraine. Now, that's a significant thing because the Republicans, one of their biggest defenses, not that they really have that much to defense anymore, but their big defense is um, that nobody knew, so no harm, no foul, Nobody knew the aid was gone, so nothing really happened. There was just a delay. No one found out about it. Therefore, they couldn't have changed their lives, their tactics, their strategy. And when she said that people did know on the July 25th, it made me want to go back and check everything again. So I did, and I'm going to show you what I found out. On that date, um, you got inquiries, your staff got inquiries from someone at the Ukrainian embassy uh, who was concerned about the status of the military assistance. Is that correct? Sir, that's correct. I would say that specifically the Ukrainian embassy staff asked what is going on with Ukrainian security assistance. And did that uh, connote to you that they were concerned that something was in fact going on with it? Yes, sir. So it doesn't, doesn't light your, uh, you know, doesn't light anything on fire. It certainly was not something you'd spend a lot of time thinking about. Well, that's important, but it really is an important moment in yesterday's uh, hearings, and uh, here's why. Let's take a look at the at the breakdown here. Let's take a look at the timeline. I love to look at timelines. I spend most of my days looking at timelines. It's the number one investigative tool for any journalist and any investigator, any, any analyst. This is the way you find out well, how things go down. People were not thinking that this guy was going to win the election April 21st. It was, he was, to, to say a long shot would be a completely, uh, complete overstatement. He, he was, understatement. He was really not expected to win in any way at all. And that surprise factor in Zelensky's win is what caught everyone by surprise. Because, you know, governments do this thing where they, before they become elected, they make deals and they say, well, if we get elected, we'll do this for you, we'll do this for you. And and I suspect the, the uh, Trump government had got into Poroshenko, the predecessor, and Putin had got into the, to, the, to Poroshenko, and they'd already made some deals. There was a call on April the 21st between Donald Trump and, uh, and Zelensky, and it was pretty congratulatory. They spoke about sending a very high-end official uh, from the administration to the inauguration. They definitely spoke about supporting each other, and it was a pretty nice call. It was, there seemed to be nothing wrong with that. But behind the scenes... I could tell by looking at this timeline, as you'll see in a second, for everyone involved, including the Russians, who have a big stake in Ukraine, uh, things were looking really dangerous. They had planned on something completely different. They'd done so in concert and in secret with um, uh, Donald Trump and his administration. Even though Trump did do this one call with uh, Zelensky, Putin refused. Putin was like, I'm not talking to him. I refuse. I'm not going to talk to this guy. In fact, it took them quite some time. I think their first face-to-face -face is only coming up later this month. So he obviously had a different plan in mind. And, uh, and suddenly you can feel how chaos began to envelop the White House and their partners in Moscow. May 3rd, 
this very unusual surprise call. I don't know if you remember this happening. Uh, suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, Trump has had a call with Putin. Now, the, the amount of attention being paid to everything that Trump was doing regarding Putin was so noticeable that to, to believe that a call like this um, could just take place, unless it was something serious, would just be, it would be foolhardy. This was a very, very important phone call. And when they told us about it after the fact, they said, ah, you know, it was just a catch up call. There was no mention of Ukraine at all in this entire readout the White House put out. But in fact, you can bet a billion dollars that the uh, subject of Ukraine did come up because there's a frenzy right afterwards. There's an absolute frenzy that follows on from that. The first thing that happens, and I'll pull back on the timeline in a second, is Rudy, Rudy Giuliani and his henchmen, they begin to do their, uh, their number on, on Ukraine. I'm told by people in Ukraine that it was quite a scene. These guys were coming into town, roughing people up, not physically roughing them up, but saying, you gotta pay us money. Uh, and, and, and also, they began to tell people that the aid was in jeopardy, that uh, the, the Trump White House was not pleased with Ukraine, and they were gonna pull away funding and also Pence from coming to, to the inauguration. So now we've got Parnas, Parnas and Furman in Ukraine um, straight after this phone call with Putin. And what are they doing? They're telling people they want money. They're saying that the whole thing is at risk. The United States may no longer be the partner that, uh, that they wanted. And then the second thing that happens is on the 9th as well, the ambassador, Marie Yovanovitch. Your reaction when you heard the president of the United States refer to you as bad news? I couldn't believe it. I mean, again, shocked, appalled, devastated that um, the President of the United States would talk about any ambassador uh, like that um, to a foreign uh, head of state. And it was me. I mean, I couldn't believe it. She's been dismissed from her post uh, under these ridiculously extreme circumstances. You remember she was at, a, at a, an event she had organized for someone who was fighting corruption, and yet she gets this call from uh, her bosses in D.C. told, you gotta get the next plane out of there, and, and she doesn't leave on, on that next day, but she does leave by inauguration day, uh, and it's dramatic. But ultimately he said uh, the words that you know, every foreign service under, uh, officer understands, the president has lost confidence in you. That was you know, a terrible thing to hear. And, um, and I said, well, you know, I guess I have to go then. Um, but no, no real reason was offered as to why I had to leave and why it was being done in such a manner. Why was she such a mortal threat to the Trump organization, to the Trump administration, and to Vladimir Putin that she needed to be yanked up so quickly? I mean, by her own admission, she is an anti-corruption diplomat. She goes in and she cleans up corrupt places. She has, in fact, cleaned up a big chunk of Ukraine. So you can imagine if you're trying to do something corrupt in Ukraine, the last thing you do is want to have her in your way, especially when it appears maybe she wasn't able to predict who the, who the next uh, pre president would be, which, you know, you could either say was bad analytical skills or she knew who her customers were. But either way, um, she was booted out so quickly um, which is interesting. What was happening that they needed her out of the way? They almost needed to move some of those deck chairs of the Titanic quickly because their, uh, their policy on Ukraine was sinking really, really fast. So then we get to this part of, of, um, of May, May 13th to 
uh, to let's say the 14th, where there is a flurry of diplomatic activity involving the Trump administration, Viktor Orban, who's just this incredible nightmare of a, of a leader from Hungary, uh, and Vladimir Putin and Pompeo. It's inexplicable to me how this series of events would have taken place unless they were trying to desperately coordinate something. Something had gone wrong in their worldview. Something very bad had gone on from their point of view. The guy they thought was going to win in Ukraine, he didn't win. The guy who won in Ukraine is a comedian nobody knows very much about, and he doesn't seem to be that friendly. On top of that, uh, he's probably got his interests that are very, very different to the American or Moscow or Hungarian uh, points of view. And so it was, you know, you can imagine chaos in an already chaotic White House as they were trying to figure out what to do next. And uh, I can say that that's what happened only through fact patterns, you know, ideal in fact patterns. That's all we can say. But if you look at this particular set of circumstances, so then on the 13th, this is on the 9th, uh, Maria Jovanovic is, is fired. On the 13th, a meeting between Orban and uh, Trump at the White House. It's a very unusual, cold, odd day where they're talking about a lot of things. There's a feeling that Putin's in the room. There really is. It's very hard to sort of have this, to look at the news reports of that day and feel like, you know, Putin maybe was a part, was a, on a phone call or at least listening in. He seems to be sort of invisibly present throughout the entire um, day's events. George Kent, who you saw on that first day of testimony, it was a really interesting uh, testimony that he provided. Uh, you remember he was with uh, Taylor. He was a guy wearing a bow tie. You remember him now, right? He's a very nice looking gentleman. The kind of guy you want to represent the United States. In his initial testimony before closed door hearing questioning, he did, revealed this about what happened on that day. So we're talking about the day Viktor Orban and Trump are meeting at the White House. And he says, um, a conversation that I recall and I took notes actually dated to mid-May in which we talked about the change of attitude and approach towards Ukraine. And that was in the wake of meetings that President Trump had, a meeting with Viktor Orban, the leader of Hungary, as well as a call he had with the Russian President Putin in early May. And what was the change following those two conversations with Orban and Putin? This is the questioning. Fiona assessed the conversations as being similar in tone and approach, and both leaders, both Putin and Orban, extensively talked Ukraine down. They said it was corrupt. Now, certainly, uh, Ukraine has a reputation of a lot of corruption. It does not have that bad a corruption problem, certainly not compared to, to, um, to Russia's problem, but definitely not as bad as, as Hungar Hungary's problem. So there's a, a feeling that these guys were, were building a narrative for Donald Trump. These guys are bad guys. They're corrupt guys. You should be harmful towards them. Don't trust Zelensky. He's not trustworthy. We don't know who he is. And they're starting to talk the stuff about him, up about him being corrupt. So the next thing he does, takes two acts on the 14th. This is like a day after he meets Orban. I mean, the, the timeline here is so revealing that, you know, you can't help but wonder why we have not been given these notes and why we cannot get clear visibility into what Putin, Orban, and Trump spoke about on those days. Because something severely big happened between, you know, that phone call with Putin on May 3rd, 10 days later, it's May 14th, and so much has changed. And the most critical thing that has changed from a, from a Ukrainian point of view is that Pence is no longer going to visit um, them. 
He is, he was scheduled to be the guy who was going to be there for the inauguration. But then come uh, May 14th, he is no longer going. President Trump instructed Vice President Mike Pence on May 14th or thereabouts to cancel his planned trip to Ukraine to attend Zelensky's inauguration. Instead, Secretary of Energy Rick Perry led the U.S. delegation. This is according to the whistleblower, the initial whistleblower report. Now, um, according to unnamed U.S. officials, according to the whistleblower report, these officials also made it clear to them that the president did not want to meet with Mr. Zelensky until he saw how Zelensky chose to act. Chose to act. Those are such big words, such uh, threatening words to the young leader of a brand new, uh, of, a, of a country, of a, a brand new leadership. But people had a lot of hope for this. So mostly in, the, in our discussions around what's been going on with Ukraine, we've taken that to mean that they wanted uh, an investigation into 2016 and they wanted an investigation into uh, Biden and his son Hunter. That has been the, the, you know, the full scope of what we think it has been. But you know, when you factor in that Putin was so involved, that Putin was so involved over those 10 days, right? We just looked at that. It's kind of incredible how many times uh, Putin and Orban and, and Trump suddenly in, that, in those feverish days in May, how they had to suddenly be in constant conversation. Why did they have to be in constant conversation? Like why? What was making those days so special that they needed to be uh, in conversation? Well, clearly the only thing going on for them would have been what Ukraine was happening. Ukraine was happening. Everyone was very surprised. This comedian Zelensky, hi, I'm back here. Um, I'm just going to do this for a second. I, I thought this would work, although I can't imagine where I am. So, hi, here I am, hi. Um, but let me help, <laughs> maybe this will help us a little bit. But you can see basically, we're looking about April 21st all the way through to May 20th when he was inaugurated. And look at this amount of activity. Did I mention the biggest thing that I forgot to mention, I think? So on this day, on the 14th, where are we now? Um, here, right here, This on this day, right here we here on this day on the 14th you can see the headline at the very bottom there this is when pompeo is suddenly disappears into sochi Putin has a lot of beautiful homes he's he's private most revered resident residences at sochi which is where the olympics were held a few years ago it's a it's not a black sea it's very nice apparently i mean it's probably quite cold at times of the year but in may maybe a nice place to go um and that's where pompeo was sent now, I can't underline how extraordinary a thing it is that you, you just you just don't get to meet any president if you're the secretary of state. You need to, you know, there's protocol. It's just protocol. It's the way things are done. Though, however exotic the work of uh, special counsel Mueller was, um, I have to say that on the whole, he had a very objective investigation and he confirmed that there are no traces whatsoever of collusion between uh, Russia and the incumbent administration, which we said was absolutely fake. Um, uh, the places we disagree, the places I think there are clearly overlapping interests that we can build on. And most importantly, President Trump very much wants to do that. Uh, presidents meet with presidents, secretaries of states meet with secretaries of state. It doesn't mean that they can't interact, but normally, the boss is around. Like if Putin was going to meet with Trump, uh, then Pompeo could go. But for Pompeo on his own to show up at Putin's private residence, staying up late night drinking vodkas probably by fireside, discussing the fate of the world in America. This is not a friendly country. This is an adversary. What's he doing showing up, you know, in 
in in in slippers and and god knows what at the uh, at putin's residence uh, i'm sure it's lovely but not a place for pompeo to go so this is an extraordinary visit that they suddenly undertake on the 14th um no real clear reason why you would find uh the secretary of state in these high level strategic talks on his own with one of the world's uh smartest and probably most uh, evil um, leaders. So you've got Putin and Pompeo sitting there on the 14th. It's a very significant day. Just look at the amount of activity that goes on. You'd think Ukraine was the most important thing in the world. And of course, Ukraine is very important, but it's particularly important to Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. And check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe and download.